0: All right. Be seated there if you would. Take your Bible. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. And uh, before I get in, uh, I get pretty one-track minded when I'm preaching. So before I get in there, I do want to say hey to our young people. And uh, Ingrid, Josh, Rena, Kimmy, you're out there somewhere and I can't see you. And uh, I know you're around and we are so incredibly proud of you. Luke, we love you too. And uh, wherever you're at. But uh, uh, aside from being the husband of Stephanie uh, and the father to my four beautiful children the privilege of my life is to pastor uh the people of faith baptist church and we've sent some of our people here and uh, what a joy it is to be able to see some of you i see ingrid but josh is probably sleeping josh are you here my friend Josh is there. He made it to chapel. Praise the Lord. And uh, I hear sometimes that doesn't happen, uh, but we'll fix that. But 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, it's a joy to be here. And I love West Coast Baptist College, and uh, I love what it stands for. I love the rigorous academics. Uh, I love the uh, focus on uh, the local church and on doctrine and so forth. And so I I hope to be a help to you today. And uh, I've got something that I want to offer each and every one of you. And really, it's not something that I'm going to offer you, but it's something that the scripture, something that your savior desires to create in your life. Now, before I tell you exactly what it is, let me start by observing that in the Bible, there are so many amazing offers uh, to the obedient uh, soul. And and not the least of these would certainly be salvation. The Bible tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What an amazing offer. Something that uh, I believe every person in this room wants and wanted. And uh, what an awesome offer that is. The Bible offers us wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask it of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. That's an offer to the obedient soul. I think about the peace of God that passeth all understandings, uh, that'll keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, What an incredible offer to the obedient soul. I think grace to help in time of need and uh, constantly renewing everyday mercy for those who seek it. And God has all kinds of daily benefits uh, that he wants to load us with every single day. And I, I, I can't help but wonder who doesn't want forgiveness? Who doesn't want that offer? Who doesn't want the offer of power to be used of God? Who doesn't want the offer of hope or even the offer of answered prayer? And there's so many offers in this book that the human soul, not even the saved person, but the human soul desires to know, uh, craves to have, excited and pleased to dwell in those things, but none of those wonderful, enticing, exciting offers are the offer I'm talking about this morning. You know, before we get to where we're going this morning, nearly everything, and I, I do want to key in on that, almost everything God says is good for us, you and I actually want. You think about it with me. Even lost people want hope. Uh, even unspiritual, carnally-minded people in the room today, and I, I hope there aren't many, but I'm, I'm no fool to know in a crowd this size, there are some carnally-minded people here. Even carnally-minded people want peace. Even secular society wants strong marriages and healthy homes. With that being said, there are some things in the Bible that God offers to us that. Only the spiritual among us, only the spiritually minded in the room would say, hey, they want. Uh, The carnally minded person doesn't want a separated life. uh, But a spiritually minded person in the room today, you're struggling to have that. You're you're waking up and and you're going to bed tired, but you have a desire to be spiritually minded. And so you're, you're pursuing that offer that God has for you. And so you see there's a little bit of a difference there. Some things everyone wants. That God offers. Some things in the Bible only a handful of people genuinely want. Spiritually spiritually minded people want almost everything God has. But we don't want everything God wants for us. We don't want everything that God is trying to create and offer to us today. Uh, This morning's offer I want to focus in on is something that I think I can speak on behalf of even the staff. I know I can speak on behalf of myself and probably on behalf of the student body. The offer this morning is something that none of us want. Unspiritual folks or carnally minded people absolutely hate the offer I'm about to give to you this morning, and even spiritually minded people don't like it much either. I'll tell you from a personal standpoint, I don't enjoy this attribute at all. In fact, when God begins to create it in my life and when God begins to bring it into my circumstances, I I generally try to do everything I can to get out from under it. I generally try to do everything I can to try to shift my circumstances and get into a little bit of a more comfortable state. Husbands don't want it. Wives don't want it. Young people seated before me this morning, doesn't matter your age, I've never met a person who wants it. It causes anxiety. It brings much pain. Uh, I'm working with people right now at faith who are struggling to manage what God has created or what God has given to them in their life in this particular area, and, and they're struggling to steward it. And honestly, I can say I've never met a person. In, uh, maybe after lunch, I'm sitting with Brother Erasmus uh, in this afternoon. Maybe he'll say, you know, Pastor Trudel, that's something I wanted. I, I genuinely don't know of anyone, including the Apostle Paul, who actually wanted this offer that God is giving us. It's a bit of a paradox. God wants it for us. God says it's good for us, but again, regardless of your spiritual level, I don't think any of us will say with a genuine heart, yeah, uh, Brother Casey, go ahead and sign me up. I'll take it. I'm ready. I want it. Bring it on. Lay it on me. I don't think anybody will. I'll tell you in just a moment exactly what it is, and I think you'll probably say, yeah, I agree. We do need that. Amen. I, I, I expect that God creates that in my life, but I don't think anybody will actually say, hey, there's a burning desire in my heart. I want as much of that as I can get. Are you ready for the offer? Weakness. I've never met a person who wants to be weak. I've met people that want the fruit of weakness. I am one of those people that genuinely desires that God would would bring me to the other side of that and, and that he could create in me certain things and certain opportunities that only weakness brings. But when God brings weakness into my life, like I said, I genuinely try to circumnavigate that stage of life. I want you to sit with me for just a moment and think about the idea that God desires for all of his people to experience to operate within weakness and inability. Weakness is defined as the follows or as follows, the state of limited capacity to do or to be something. It's known as inability or limitations, the lack of strength or timidity of soul and spirit resulting from a lack of confidence in nobody to my knowledge, even the most spiritual among us, want that. But here's the reason I think God has me bring the message to this crowd this morning. Those in front of me especially don't want that. I think about what the Bible says, uh, uh, um, uh, Brother Shetler, I think about what the Bible says, that the glory of a young man is his strength glory of an old man is his gray head. And I'm somewhere in the middle of that. I've got, I've got some gray hair. I'm, I'm, I'm not super old, but I, I'm somewhere in the middle where now I've got more gray hair than I've got strength left. And so as a young person seated in the chapel this morning, nobody wants to be powerless. Everybody in this room, I hope, that has a desire to love God and serve God desires to run out the gates after graduation and have the power of God rest upon them. I think we would all agree to that desire. None of us want to be unable to affect change. Nobody wants suffering in their life or physical hardship or illness in their life beyond the scope of their control. Nobody wants that. We all want to at least feel like we have some hand uh, on the wheel where maybe it's not a lot of change we can affect, but at least we have the option to alter the circumstances no matter how small. But practically speaking, what is what is weakness? Beyond the dictionary definition, Think think with me. Weakness is... Only being able to observe when something should be done. Brother Choi pastored for many years here in uh, Southern California, and I know for sure Brother Choi has felt that. Where he stood on the sidelines and said, I wish I could do something, but I, I can't. Observing when something should be done. I'm not talking about laziness and putting your hands in your pocket when there's work to be done. I'm I'm talking about as a husband or a pastor or a youth pastor someday when there's a heart of a teenager who you've loved and prayed over and you've tried and you've preached the word and you've been faithful and, and it's gotten to the point where there's not much else you can do. You just watch and you pray. Weakness is having the will and desire to help but not the ability Pardon the illustration, I know there aren't many fathers uh, in the college today, but one of the weakest times, every father in this room understands, one of the weakest times in your life is when your wife goes through labor. And uh, it is a hard experience. You're, you're standing there, the person you love the most in the whole world is suffering, you have the desire and the will to take the pain, but no ability to. I was speaking to a young man uh, uh, some time ago who was uh, his wife was expecting it'd be their first child, and I was, I was just trying to warn him, brother. And I said, hey, I, I, don't, I know you've never had a baby before, but I just want to give you a little bit of a heads up, a little bit of warning. It's hard, man. It's tough to watch. There's not a lot you could do. And he kind of he smiled, and he said, now, pastor, he said, I just want you to know I took a birthing class. I'll be just fine. And I kind of laughed at him. I said, well... I said, amen, brother. He's like, we, learned the, we learned the breathing, and we learned that. I said, okay, great. I'm, I'm excited, but I want you to know it's going to be a lot harder than you think. He said, oh, it'll be fine. And some time goes by, and they had their beautiful child, and I showed up the day uh, the baby was born. I went to the hospital, and I saw Dad in the lobby, white as a sheet. He said, Pastor, I, I was not prepared for that. I was not ready. He said, I just sobbed. I just cried. I felt so unable to do anything. You know, weakness is a terrible thing at times. And I don't care how spiritual you are, none of us want that. No parent wants to be powerless when their child is suffering. No husband wants to be helpless when his wife is hurting. No wife wants to be buried under the expectations of ministry and family feeling like, I am not enough. No spiritual leader wants to be too weak to help everyone who has a need. But listen to me carefully when I say this weakness was carved into humanity in the garden weakness is ordained of god it is a gift to all of us weakness has powerful and beneficial effects on all men now listen to me this morning i'm not going to convince a single one of you to want it i don't think anybody out here is going to walk out of the chapel and say all right god bring me a thorn in the flesh Maybe there's a couple of you out there, your loose screws, probably the guy sitting on the front will be my best guess, but there might be a handful of you out there that's like, yes, send it to me, you know, shipwrecks and thrice was I beaten. Um, There may be a handful, but I think most of us won't want it, but here's my goal, not for you to want it, here's the title of the message, but for you to welcome weakness. You're never going to want it, to my knowledge. And maybe you get to a place as you get a little bit older that when God brings inability and God brings uh, some some maybe insecurity that you feel like, yeah, this is where I want to be. But as a young man, somewhere in the middle, a little farther down the road than you, I've never gotten to the place where I saw God bring weakness in my life. And I said, yeah, baby, here we go. But I hope we can get to the place where we say, okay, God, I see what you're doing, and I welcome it. I, think, I want you to think with me of this idea of accepting and welcoming weakness. I, I think of one particular man in the Bible that comes to mind above all else other than the Lord Jesus Christ as our example in all things. But this man in 2 Corinthians 12 towers as a figure of faith in Christianity. And you probably guess it's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, you'll see, didn't want weakness, but he gloried in it. But he welcomed it. And I want to learn from his example this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 and verse number 6. Would you look there, please? For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be as a fool. Forgive me, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be... Or that he heareth me to be. He says, let me, let me straighten out the record. You, you think that I'm, I'm a strong man and I'm a powerful individual and I have no, I have no uh, inability. And so he's going to straighten out the record. Verse number 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. He says, no doubt God has used me. And no doubt God has given me special revelations. And no doubt God's hand is on me. But I want you to know it came with a the cost. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, I don't know if you noticed that, but he said that last phrase twice. He opened the verse and says, hey, unless I got so big, God gave me a thorn. Unless I got so big. It's a little bit redundant, but Paul's proving a point. Verse number eight. For this thing, notice how much he didn't want it. I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in what's the word? weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest on me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am, read the word, then am I strong. Now listen, (laughs) I'm still working to get there, brother R., I wish that I could look back on the road uh, uh, the last 22 years or so of being saved and, and see all the hard things that God has brought me through and say, yeah, bring more. The Apostle Paul's a little different than I think most of us. But this man suffered so much. This man was in prison and beaten, rejected of both Romans and Jews. He was starved. He was, he was stoned. And on top of that, God gave him a physical infirmity, a thorn in the flesh that God thrust into his body like a thorn under the skin he couldn't get rid of. And, and every day he woke up with it, and every night he went to sleep with it. And I just think, were the shipwrecks not enough, Lord? And were the starvations and the watchings and the waking, was that not enough? And yet, every person owes this man, the Apostle Paul, an immeasurable debt. For it was this man that first brought the gospel, as you know, undoubtedly, to the Gentiles. And history records for each of us what we view as a powerful man, a powerful influence. He turned entire cities and governments upside down. He terrified emperors. He changed the world, a larger-than-life character. And we see him as such. You know why? Don't turn there, but write the reference down if you would. Second Corinthians 10.10. 10. Because in his letters... He was powerful. But you know how they described him, those who knew him? 2 Corinthians 10.10, he says, but in his bodily presence, he was weak. His speech, contemptible. He'd be the guy that in chapel, he'd stand up and maybe you'd read his books and thought, this is a great guy. And you read his books and thought, wow. And then you saw him and thought, well, that guy's not much. You heard him speak and you thought, well, I've heard better chapel messages. And yet everyone in here viewed this man Through the lens of power. And the point I'm trying to prove, and the point I think Paul's trying to prove, is simply this. He didn't accomplish the great things God used him to because he was powerful, but rather because of weakness. And it's because of that truth and that offer this morning that I hope each and every one of us will entertain the idea that God is going to bring things in your life and take things out of your life for the purpose of weakening you. Because when you are weak... Then you are strong. Let's pray. Father, I ask God you'd guide now. Lord, I understand, Lord, they're halfway through the semester, and it's an early morning, and they had a long weekend of ministry, and all of those things. But I ask God for for the, the crowd in general that you'd work. But, Lord, for the handful of hearts, perhaps, that are walking through hardship. For the every person in front of me who will walk through hardship. God, I pray that you'd work in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Look up here if you would. It's not the invitation. I think I faked you out, sister. That's the introductory prayer. It's a long invitation, was it not? Or a long uh, intro? Y'all thought you were getting out for lunch early. How many thought it was the invitation right then? No, let's get to the Bible. Amen? I'm gonna show you five opportunities. I'm so sorry, that's all me. Five, I don't normally have that long of an introduction, right, so you normally have, you learned in homiletics class, brother R, whoever teaches it, don't have that long of an invitation. You'll fake everybody out, praise the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 12, would you go there? I'm gonna show you five opportunities that weakness creates that strength won't give you. I want you to see number one, that weakness gives us the opportunity to trust in God and not ourselves. Don't lose that on your way to 2 Corinthians 12, but understand that when you're weak, you have a special opportunity strength won't give you. When you're weak, you have a special offer to trust in God in a way that you would never have known. Because when we're powerless to affect change, listen to me, young people, strong people, talented people, when you're weak enough that you can't do anything, you're gonna realize in ministry, it was never you that was supposed to do it in the first place. Sometimes God uses weakness in our lives to prove to us that we're not as valuable as we might consider ourselves. In Romans twelve three, Paul admonishes us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Not to think that we're as valuable, perhaps, as we think we are. And I know who's seated in front of me, young people. I'm, I'm, it's not lost on me. This is, this is the starting lineup. This, this is America's future hope. Uh, This is Kenya's future hope. I dropped off a missionary yesterday morning at LAX. He's flying to Nairobi, East Africa. Going to get into closed-access nations, and and praise God, America's future hope sits in front of me. Tomorrow's pastors, future staff members, the 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 hope of our next generation. You're undoubtedly very gifted. You're very smart, well-trained, polished speakers, well-organized. You've gone through class after class to teach you administration, and you're excited to change the world, and I'm excited for you to come out and help us change the world. I champion that. I'm not in competition with you. I'm, I'm your biggest cheerleader. I think the same thing can be certainly said of your staff here. But one thing every person in this room is going to have to learn is a keen awareness of your inability. Because if you could do it all, you'd get all the credit. If your talent could carry you to build a church and change lives, you'd use it. But God is gonna carve into each of us special weakness. There'd be no need for the endowment from heaven. There'd be no need for trusting. There'd be no glory left for God if you had the power to do it all yourselves. And sometimes the problem with being on the starting lineup in the starters, you know, you think about basketball or football, those five guys that take the court first. The problem with being there so often is you think the scoreboard needs you. Man, if I if I get benched, we're going to lose the game. And, 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 and as you go into ministry, and some of that certainly exists in Bible colleges, uh, the idea that, well, you know, I'm, I'm at the front of the line, and, you know, the, the ministry needs me, and God is going to bring some weakness in your life to try to help you understand that God doesn't need us, but as we find in Psalm 18, God delights in us. He doesn't need our ability and our talent, though he gave that in the gifts of God or without repentance, right? He calls you, he gifts you, he wants you, but he is God with or without us. Now, you think about the, 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 the term almighty, right? Self-existing one. He doesn't need anything or anyone, and yet he invites us to be used. And the danger with being a starter, if you would, in the service of the Lord is that we get good at our position. We get good at our craft. We, we, can, we get so good at playing that that spot on the team that we start calling our own plays. We start operating outside of the playbook. Maybe we get so good at the recipe for sermons and we learned it so well and we understand this comes first and this comes first and this comes first. We start making the recipe without the book. And I've talked to senior pastors, much my senior, that say, Well, listen, you know, Brother Casey, you don't really need to read your Bible. You're studying so much. You don't need to worry about that. You're, you're being okay. And you can get to a place a bit like King Saul, where you, you were one time little in your own eyes, and then you figured it out. You don't need Samuel to make the sacrifice. I got this. What a dangerous place to be. There's no need for trust when we have immense talent. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 says, Lest I should be exalted. He says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, lest I should be exalted. And Paul said, because God kept me in the starting lineup and he used me in such powerful ways, he carved into me, he stuck into me a thorn. He allowed weakness, inability. He brought me low, Paul says. He allowed it to buffet me. He allowed it to harm me. He he brought weakness so that I would rely on Jesus. Paul himself said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through strength. No, through Christ. Paul says the road ahead is too heavy. Uh, the, The burdens are too many, and I need Christ because I am weak. But through him I can do all things because he strengtheneth me. And like it or not, weakness is a class we will all take in this life. And it's harder than any administration, secretarial, uh, uh, you know, youth pastorate, assistant pastor, uh, classes you're going to take. And In fact, I'll show you the course requirements. Find it in verse number 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here are the course requirements for the class on weakness. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress. For Christ's sake... For when I am weak, then I am, am I strong. I want you to notice, secondly, weakness gives me an opportunity to need him. We, maybe I haven't realized this, but young people out there listening to me this morning, perhaps the weight of weakness that God has put in your life isn't given to crush you, but to cause you to bow. It's heavy on purpose. It, there's, there's too much for a reason. I often say my favorite Bible verse that's not in the Bible is that God will never give you more than you can handle. That is emphatically untrue. If you try anything for Jesus, you're going to wade into waters that go well above your head. If you try anything for the kingdom of God, you're going to be burdened, and you're going to be attacked above anything your capability and ability can handle. God will frequently give you more than you can handle. He'll never give you more than he can handle, He'll call you to impossible tasks. He'll have you walk through the shadows and the valley of death. He'll invite you into difficulty. But he's doing it to teach you something. He's not doing it to break you. He's doing it to show you you can't trust in you. But you can trust in him. I think about this. Necessity is often said to be the greatest motivator, right? We rest because we need to. We eat because we like to, but we should eat because we need to, right? We breathe because we need to. God ordained needs in His creation, and He forged weakness in so we would learn to need Him. I want you to think about the notable sins of notable societies in Scripture. What was the pride of Sodom and Gomorrah? Or what was the sin of, pride of Sodom and Gomorrah? Pride and fullness of bread. The, the sins of Laodicea, the they had need of nothing. Listen. When I have no need, I'm in danger of lacking motivation to go to God. I've got food and I've got money and I, I, you know, I've got a growing church and I've got no problems and my, my grades are under control and my family is fine, and my health is in line, and I know what's happening after graduation. I've got offers. I've got it all figured out. Good, great, that's fine. But let me speak to the senior class who doesn't have it all figured out just yet. You don't have 12 offers. You don't have the spouse. You don't have the place. You don't have any idea what comes next. Perfect. Perfect. You will learn something about God in that fellowship of suffering. You will learn something about weakness that you're going to desperately, desperately need when you actually go into ministry and start to serve. And so can I just encourage you and admonish you, just rest. Just allow God to create in you in this season of hardship, whatever it is he's trying to teach you, but don't run. Weakness teaches us to trust. Number two, weakness creates a need in our lives when we've got to hurry. Number three, a weakness has the ability to tune our heart to God's. Go to 2 Corinthians 13.4. This is an incredible passage. 2 Corinthians 13.4. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in Him. No, 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 no. I thought I was going to get out into ministry and be powerful. Okay. For we are weak in him, for we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Now, you're all probably too young to know what it's like to tune a radio. Uh, I don't know. Maybe your cars have a tuning radio. But back in my day, all 33 years of my life, uh, back in my day in the car, we had to tune the radio. And, and uh, we didn't have the, you know, the buttons and they automatically went to the tuning. But we had to go a little bit to the left and, and a little bit to the right until we finally found a place where there was no interference. The frequency was matched perfectly. We could hear the radio. Listen to me, young people. Weakness tunes our heart. Uh, You're a little bit proud. You're a little bit talented. And and listen, talents are good. We're going to talk about that. But you you need just a little bit of humility. uh, And you need to know how to suffer so that you can help those who suffer. And it's creating a tune, a frequency with no interference and no static where we are tuned to God. We're learning to suffer like he did. We're learning to submit like Jesus did. We're learning to be lonely as no doubt Jesus was. Has it ever occurred to you that perhaps the Lord is teaching you the hurt of his heart in the hurt he's allowing in your life? If you study through the Old Testament, you'll find in the minor and major prophets that God oftentimes brought very difficult and very strange at times circumstances into the life of the prophet. Why? So they would know how he felt toward Israel. He says, hey, I want you to do this for a year, and I want you to realize that's my heart toward Israel. Hey, I want you to take this this wife that became a harlot and bring her back to you because that's how I feel. Uh, years ago, and I don't have time to go into the, the detail, but years ago I was walking through a difficult circumstance as a pastor, and just, it was tough, and people had expectations, and it, it felt like a hard season, you just felt lonely, lonely. And, and listen, you'll get there, every pastor, every minister has gotten there, but ministry just takes a special toll on your life at certain seasons, your family, your peace, your sleep schedule, uh, sometimes people just expect perfection, or at least you feel like they expect perfection, and you know, you've got to preach like, you know, Dr. Chapel and memorize the Bible like Brother Getch, and have hair like, brother Choi. I mean, you just got to have everything in line perfectly, and you're 26 years old with two small kids, and I remember just feeling I was insufficient at this time, and people, you know, just faults and finding faults, and I just felt lonely, and, and I remember as I was driving to work, I was coming over the bridge near Hughes and White Lane, and, and I just felt so burdened, and I was talking to the Lord, and, and this, this just I had this sweet moment with Jesus, and it felt as though God was speaking into my heart, and he said, Casey, I'm acquainted with that grief. And I know that's in the Bible, but man, it just, something happened on that little overpass where God spoke to my heart and He says, I've ministered to these people too, and I've given all, and I, I desire their hearts, and I love them, and I've given, and I've sacrificed my family for them. I've done all I can, and now you know my heart toward those people. And it may not sound much to you, but it was profound. It was as though in that moment of suffering, it was static, 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 static. And then my heart was tuned to his. It was as though in that suffering, God pulled his heart back and said, Now you know my heart toward them. It was so profound, actually, that I actually hit the car in front of me. Uh, They they stopped, and I was in deep prayer and tears. (laughs) Boom! And I hit it. So maybe that's why you pray in a closet and not on the road. I'm not sure the application of that. But I know this. When you fellowship with his sufferings, it tunes your heart to him. Weakness gives me an opportunity, one, to trust God. Two, to need God, number three, to learn God, number four. Weakness gives me the opportunity to know his strength. You say, I'm supposed to get out and be powerful. Yes, but no. Not you, but Christ that dwelleth in you. Listen, Paul was not effective because he was powerful. Rather, Paul was effective because he was weak enough for the power of Christ to rest on him. Go back to 2 Corinthians 12, 10. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities, verse 10, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, he said, I'd rather be weak because then am I strong. Young people, when you learn to accept, I don't mean to call you young people, I hope that's not degrading, but college people, not young people, I don't know what to call you, College young people, when you learn to accept your weakness, you're inviting the power of God into your life because when you're weak, you're strong. Weakness is a shovel that hollows out self-trust because listen, we've got ourselves and we've got our accomplishments and our abilities and our plans, our thoughts, our solutions and those are all fine and those will all have a place in service but what you need is to know that you're not enough. You'll never be enough for that youth group. You'll never be enough for the person you're engaged sitting next to right now. You'll never be enough for that pastor to that mission field. But God never asked you to be enough. He asked you to be empty so he could fill you. And weakness has a purpose. Now, that brings me to my final observation and we are done right on time. What is the purpose of weakness? What's the end game of it, if you will? Weakness places my trust in uh, 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 God. It creates a need that only he can meet. It causes me to understand his heart and it invites me To power in my life. But what's the purpose of weakness? Listen to me. Go to 2 Corinthians 1. Or 1 Corinthians, forgive me. 1 Corinthians 1. Weakness positions me to be used by God. There's an end game to weakness and it's the glory of God. You'll find it with me in no uncertain terms. I don't have to make something up. I'll just read it from the Bible. 1 Corinthians 26. He says, For you see your calling, brethren... How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the... There's that word again. Weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. The base things of the world, the things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh... Should glory in his presence. Listen, when we're weak, we're ready to be used. We're ready to change the world. We're ready to help the wounded. We're ready to love the worst of humanity because we realize who we are. We're ready to, as Paul did, turn the world upside down. God doesn't need to use the strong. He'll use the weak. And oftentimes, God won't use the strong because they take too much credit. I want to be careful how I say this. Listen, God will use every single person in this room should you humble yourself to that purpose. But maybe you're in here and you are super talented. And you are who's who and what's what. God will bring you to a place of weakness where you either decide to trust in yourself or you decide to let weakness hollow out that pride so God can pour himself into you. But I want to speak to the young people here today who are thinking, I just, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I, don't have the capability to speak. And I, I'm not talking about foolish as in you're living in sin. No, no. I'm talking to the young person who's just trying to do right, and you just don't feel like you're cut from the right cloth to be used of God. Great news. You make the team. Because God chooses the foolish and the base and the weak to confound all the mighty, the, the, the ones who everybody thought, yeah, and then, oh, well, maybe, maybe someday. But that's the person that get, does it. And everybody says, well, it wasn't Casey that did it. We know Casey. (laughs) There's no way that's going to happen. I mean, we know Toby. That's not going to happen. Brother Weaver, that's a God thing. And that's what brings a smile to God's face. Listen, it's the shepherd boy God uses to confound the monarch, head and shoulders, above the nation. It's a tent maker that God used to confound an entire empire. It's the apostles, the fishermen, the tax collectors that turned the world upside down. It's a backward shepherd on the backside of the desert in the in, uh, in, in, uh, Israel area there in the Middle East that, that God used to part the Red Sea. It's a herdsman, not a prophet, not the son of a prophet, Amos, that God used to speak to Israel. God doesn't need all stars. He needs broken people. God doesn't need the people who compete for his glory. He needs the ones who everybody knows they didn't do it. He doesn't want anybody stealing his glory. Listen, gifting and talent and heritage are all a beautiful thing. But God chooses weakness. And Paul said, for this reason, high glory. I take pleasure in the hurt that God brings. In the suffering that God allows. Listen, think with this final thought with me. Few men have ever welcomed weakness like Paul did. Consequently, few men have ever changed the world like Paul did. Paul didn't want the weakness. We saw that three times. Lord, please, would you take it away? Please, would you take it away? Please, would you take it away? And God said no. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul accepts it. He welcomes. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. So as we go to prayer, let me admonish you. You don't have to want it. Whatever hardship Whatever circumstance, whatever burden is in your heart and life right now, I'm not asking you to stand and cheer for it. But I am saying welcome it. Okay, God, you chose it. You took it. You gave it. You changed it. For your glory. Let's pray. Father, I ask God that you do a work in our hearts this evening, this morning. Lord, in front of me are incredibly talented, gifted, anointed young people. We're going to need those talents. Lord, a man's gift maketh room for him. We, we need those gifts. We need the vocals. We need the, uh, the, the polish. We need, the, we need those things, Lord. But God, may they recognize and may I recognize and may we all recognize that what we need as individuals is a keen aware of our inability, a keen understanding that we are never going to be enough. We're never going to be able to Fix the hurt every time. But we have a God who can, a God who will, a God who's ready to work and do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. But He chooses foolish people who don't feel like they've got it. He chooses weak people who don't feel like they're everything everyone's ever needed.